self-awareness is a life journey. We are so multi-layered and just the minute we think we're on top of it, life throws us a curveball that says, ah, so you really thought you knew this. And so <laughs> that's part of the, I've learned to find it rather fun. But the minute that I think, oh yeah, I got this, I'm in the groove, then life throws me something that says, okay, well, you did get that, but now how about this? I'm Krati Mehra and this is Beyond the Goals podcast. It's my attempt to help you revel in all that life has to offer without pressing pause on your hustle. We learn how to create healthier relationships, a healthier lifestyle, a career that brings us true joy and a life that satisfies us on every level. Forget the conventional ideas of success and happiness because we're going to live a life of value and create an impact that speaks to our place in the world. So let's get started. Hello and welcome back to the show. This is episode number 20 and we are discussing emotional awareness and well-being with Dr. Carla Marie Manley. With everything that we've been through this past year, I think we all need to learn how best to take care of our emotional health. So today we're going to talk about how best to build a healthy, happy life, what it means to enjoy a truly joyful life, how we can be more self-aware without seeking therapy how to set up our day to allow for mindfulness and better emotional awareness, a friendlier way to assess and achieve goals that matter, the attitude to embrace when confronted with challenges, how to explore our subconscious motivations, and how best to handle difficult emotions. And in case you're not already familiar with Dr. Carla's work, our guest is a clinical psychologist and wellness expert from California. She's an author, consultant, and speaker Dr. Manley specializes in improving professional and personal relationships through mindfulness and communication skills, with a focus on self-development as the foundation for optimal wellness. Dr. Carla's highly acclaimed books, Joy from Fear, Aging Joyfully, and her newest title, Date Smart, offer life-changing insights and wisdom to help readers create positive, purpose-driven lives. She's also been featured in publications like The Wall Street Journal, The Los Angeles Times, Oprah, Reader's Digest, Psychology Today, NBC, Parade, GQ, Women's Health, and many more. What I loved about my interaction with Dr. Carla, and it was, of course, an online interaction, but despite that, she created this very gentle, judgment-free space and shared advice that's very easy to follow, absolutely on point, and very actionable. And I cannot wait to share it all with you. So let's dive in. Thank you so much, Dr. Carla, for making time for this interview. Oh, I'm so glad. It's a pleasure to be with you. I wanted to uh, start by telling you that I love your book and so does my book club. And I'm uh, under instruction to let you know uh, by my book club that we immensely enjoyed your book and we cannot wait for the next book. Oh, thank you. That makes me very happy. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so... As someone who has worked with like you know so many people, you've helped rehabilitate people. You've you've helped uh, rehabilitate relationships of people. You've worked with people who have anxiety and depression. So, based on all of that experience, what, according to you, are the most important tools when it comes to building a happy, healthy life? Such a good question. And what I would say is the primary tool is self awareness. Okay. Because when we are aware of the self, it's where we start from, right? right? We can then take steps to take care of the self in whatever way that is, whether it's having working on self-esteem issues or working on boundary issues, working on relationships, communication skills. It is all that turning inward. And as Carl Jung said, he who looks outside dreams, he who looks inside awakens. Right. And, and to me, that is the journey of life. It is some of the most difficult work we ever do. Absolutely. But I think when we are self-aware, which is can be incredibly difficult, especially many of us are raised in dysfunctional, you know, homes. So we grow yes. up without being aware that we have dysfunctional patterns. And if we do become aware of it, we don't know how to change it. In our Western culture, we are taught to medicate over problems rather sure. than diving into the problems. We are looking for the quick fix. And so again, I think to live a happy life, I tend to steer clear of the word 
happy though, more having a joyful life, you know, a big difference there. And we can talk about that a bit if you want. But really, I think that it's about tuning into the self because when we know the self, we know what feels good, truly, and we can then do more of that. And then we also know naturally what doesn't feel good. And then right. we do less of that. Okay. And so some people might say, well, wait a minute. And that would create somebody who's very spoiled and always getting what they want. Oh, no, no, not at all. It is about if I wake up in the morning and being on my phone first thing makes me anxious, right? Well, then yeah. I do less of that. If I wake up and I find that listening to cheerful music, doing a meditation and doing a lot of my gratitudes makes me feel like a better more grounded person, I do more of that. And so we can look at doing that in all aspects of our lives, including in relationships. If we are noticing that we're engaging with someone who is toxic for us, well, then we figure out what that's about and we engage with that person less. And then okay. the people who bring us peace and comfort and joy, but challenge us to forever become better versions of who we are then we go more to that type of that makes sense uh, but what you said about uh, being joyful as opposed to being happy can you elaborate on that please yes i can so there is a sense of sometimes that we want to feel good so we look to the external world for something to make us feel good so we look for something that makes us have pleasure very fleeting a pleasant encounter, something we taste that is, you know, gives us pleasure. So it's an outward item. Then we go a step beyond that to happiness, which is I feel happy. I bought a new dress. I feel happy. I saw mm-hmm. my best friend. We had a great time. I feel happy. Again, more of an external, dependent upon something external. To me, joy is one of the primary five emotions, or joy, sadness, fear, anger, and disgust all have very important roots. And so when we look at that and say, joy, if I have joy within me, I don't need to look outside. I realize that I have that capacity within the self. And the way I like to look at joy is much like a little candle, a little votive candle, right? And then we are born and we put it in a little glass container And so we have this beautiful light that radiates as a child and we can see it and other people can see it. And then we have negative light experiences and then there gets soot on the glass and more soot and more soot. And if we don't do our self work or have good caregivers, we don't know how to wipe off the soot. So then we get anxious and depressed and sad and all of these things that feel permanent, but really it's soot. So if we can learn to wipe off the soot, what we find inside is joy. So the joy is the light that we all have, which is where when we say namaste, right? I see the light within you. You see the light within me. And I say, oh, that's a nod to the fact that we all have that light. It is incumbent upon us to do the work when possible to keep that soot off of our glass. Sure. That was beautiful. So yeah, absolutely. It is incumbent upon us to do the work. And as you said, like self-awareness is like the number one element that we need to build a joyful life, as you said, but uh, self-awareness, it's not easy. So, so anybody who's not willing to get professional help, maybe, right? Because I think therapy is a, is a massively helpful tool when it comes to exploring your psyche, but someone who's not willing to go that far, what can they do to become more self-aware? It's actually why I wrote Joy from Fear, because not only is therapy expensive, right, but you're, you're often leaving your home or leaving work in order to attend to therapy. Let's say you can afford therapy, and it is very expensive, and let's say that it is accessible to you, then that is one, for most people, at most, it is one hour per week, which means if you go every week, no holidays, no vacations, you are getting at the most 52 hours. And that's if it's a full hour. Most therapy right. sessions are 50 minutes. So it's a maximum of 52 hours in an entire year. 
right? Mm-hmm. So I wanted joy from fear to be basically my mode of working with someone as best as I could create it in book form so that people could learn that the journey of self-discovery, somebody who's in therapy can use the book or books similar to that, but actually have actionable exercises, right? Right, right. So then I, and then you had said that it was a a part of your book club. I am a huge fan of that. I'm a huge fan of groups. Even if one person buys the book and everybody shares it, right, to save money, it works perfectly because the idea is to journey forward. And if you're working on one group, on one book in a group, then you have that power of essentially group therapy moving you forward, encouraging, not feeling alone, seeing yourself as other people talk, working out issues together. We are such tribal people Mm -hmm. that having community around us to support us. So I believe that whether you have a book club or you're a member of a group that is working together I think having some sort of actionable plan is always very helpful because sometimes we read one article here and there and say oh yes I want to meditate five minutes in the morning or I want to journal (laughs) or I want to do this and do that but we don't have a plan we don't have the exercises and that's where many self-help books fall down so to speak that they give the ideas but then remembering to put them in action and how to do it becomes very difficult. So I would say to somebody who wants to work on self-awareness, who does not want to go the traditional route of psychotherapy, to find a book or books that resonate with you, that give you an actionable plan. And if you, for some reason, don't have access to books and you simply want to create a support group of like-minded people, ideally monitored by a professional because they can get tricky, but uh, really having people support you in your journey. Because as you wisely said, even those who have been, like myself, on a self-awareness journey for a long time, it is easy to lose your way. It's easy to get bogged down in you know, business or taking care of other people. And so I believe that sometimes the best thing we can do is to be kind and compassionate with ourselves and slow down, if only for five minutes every morning and five minutes every night to tune into yourself, maybe in the morning, saying some gratitudes and setting some positive intentions. Something as simple as today when I eat my breakfast, I will actually taste what I'm eating, right? Right. I will actually allow myself the time in the space to really enjoy that that meal and be grateful for that meal. That alone, even though it may sound simple, is actually a gift on so many levels. It's a gift to the self. It's also a gift to the planet that brought you that food and all the hands that brought you that food. And then it's a reminder of the preciousness of this moment and the inter, you know, how we are also interrelated. So you can do something like that in the morning and then at night go to bed, being grateful for the blessings being a little mindful, slowing down. So I don't, I think many people think that it has to be some giant, massive shift, which can keep people away from changes. And being somebody who's gone through my share of massive shifts, I know from firsthand experience, it is not easy. But if we keep our eye on the ball, which is the ball being ever evolving, to be the best version of ourselves. I think that that alone can be such a guiding principle when we we find ourselves, something happened to me the other day and I left the situation thinking, you know, I think I could have done a little better in that situation, Mm. right? Not judging myself, not blaming myself, just saying, hmm, I think next time, this is what I'll do differently. And if we all do that just a little bit, once a day, we say, hmm, I'd like to up-level this part of myself. And again, it doesn't have to be big. It can be right. something simple, like turning off your, your earphones when you're on a walk so that you hear the birds and not the latest podcasts. Okay, 
So finding a like-minded group of people that we can discuss things with, finding books that can help us, discussing that with the, that group, that's also something we can do and have someone to guide us through the, the process, someone who is more experienced perhaps, and uh, do mindfulness, bringing more intention to our day, uh, practicing gratitude and making note of our performance, making note of our interactions, making note of how we do uh, as we go through one experience after another and making changes as we uh, find the need for it, right? Okay, so those are pretty good points, I think. If you were to bring more more of a process to it, is there something else we can do? Okay, so if I were to give somebody steps, first off, look at your environment whether we have roommates or partners or other family members, mm-hmm. as much as we can, we want our environment to resonate with us. So, for example, my office has no technology in it. I want my clients to be able to come into my office and immediately feel a sense of peace, not see computers or phones, but to feel that my waiting room and my office itself is very spacious and calm. And so we can each do that in our own way, even if it is limited to hanging things on the wall that feel right to you, keeping your phone away from your bed at night, having colors around you that are soothing and calming, having a plant to water and tend to, right? So we can do things in our environment, and our environment is very important. Like I said, we can't always control everything, but we can control some things. So what you can control, do your best to make sure it is something that is neutral at worst, uplifting at best, but never something toxic, yes? Wonderful. And then, and so for me, I can say that, um, here's a really good example. I'm married, my husband loves television. I happen to wish I never saw another television in my life, right? right? And so we have this agreement where when I'm in the room, the loud news and the talking heads are not on because they're upsetting to me. They mess with my life force, right? <laughs> right. So we have this agreement that when I'm not around, he's more than welcome to do that. When I'm around, you know, we, we work out an agreement so that it's a win-win, right? And so... That's an example. So you wake up, and for me, I can walk you through my day. It's the best I can do to give people tips. I wake up, I do my gratitudes. I sing a joyful song to myself. Whether or not you can sing well is not the point. The (laughs) point is creating the energy, the chant, the mantra of being grateful. And so whatever that sounds like or looks like to you, then making sure that, so that's the first thing that meets your energy field is something positive. Then, and many people for them, it's their phone first thing. That's not my primary relationship. I don't want my primary relationship to be with my phone. Choosing what we engage with. Then making sure the first thing that comes into our bodies, you know, first thing we drink, first thing we eat is something that feels healthy, that feels nourishing to you. Your body knows. When we move our head out of the way, the body knows what feels good. Water or tea or orange juice, whatever it is, right? Being mindful. And then knowing that this is not always going to be perfect. There are days where we rush through and then later look and say, oh, you know, I could have slowed down a little bit more. I would like to do that. So then, again, trying to move through your day mindfully when you engage in work tasks. Engaging, setting the intention that I'm going to work for an hour or two, being very mindful and attentive while I am at work, not being distracted. Another big piece, so that's kind of the work thing. When you're at work, give it your best. Whatever you're working on, give it your best. Right. Yes? And then with your personal interactions, whether it's with your boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, what, you know, daughter, mother, whatever, you know, the clerk at the grocery store, um, being mindful of the interaction. I have caught myself asking somebody, how is your day going? Right. And not listening to the response, not really right. taking it in. And that's such an, a common error for us that we are often far too focused on what's next rather than being present for what is. And so when right. we engage with someone, again, whether it's a child 
a mentor, somebody, you know, in the grocery store, engage. Let your eyes be connected to the person. Let your heart be connected. Unless, of course, they're toxic, in, in which case you want a nice boundary, right? And <laughs> yeah, so that makes sense. I think that steps like that, and then as you wind down your day, so many people have sleeping issues. And for me, it's all about from 5 o'clock on, do my very best to let my body clock wind down slowly sometimes I do have to work late but I do tend to try and schedule easier things toward the end of the day and then being able to have your body feel calmer and calmer and calmer with each passing hour rather than getting yourself engaged in fighting video games at 11 o'clock at night <laughs> you get your adrenaline going and your cortisol yeah, going absolutely. Right? and so again it's about being very mindful that your day is part of the cycle of life and keeping right. it as grounded and as natural and as authentic for you as possible. The other thing that I think is really important to address because um, technology has really caused a lot of anxiety and depression and um, stress is to be really aware of your consumption of the media, social media and technology. Be a wise consumer because we tend to think, don't see it as something that can be toxic and anything that is misused, be it too too many of you know yummy cookies or too much caffeine or too much ice cream, they're all wonderful things in their own right. It's when we overconsume. And it's much the same with technology. And I've had clients who have really backed off of their technology use and found that their depression eased, that their sense of self-worth increased, particularly if they were um, using social media sites where there was a big emphasis on external appearances. Right. And so you turn on a phone and you're looking at somebody who has the perfect beach body or the perfect and i'm putting all of this in quotes right because there is no such thing as perfection but what society deems perfect then we compare ourselves to this and the perfect anniversary or the perfect husband or the perfect boyfriend and we're going around with this messages that's saying what's wrong with me Oh, my life doesn't look like this. I don't look like this. I don't, I should change. I should be better. I should be. And it starts this terrible voice of toxic comparison that makes us really dissatisfied with who we are and in the home that is our body. And um, I don't, you know, it's, it's pretty tough if you're telling your home it's awful all the time. <laughs> we don't right. want to do that to ourselves. No. And the really other important piece, and I touched on it before, is you'll make mistakes. You'll have days where you went too fast and weren't mindful about anything. Don't blame yourself. Don't shame yourself. Simply step back as if you're a researcher and fly on the wall and go, hmm, that probably wasn't the most healthy thing for me to go through my day, you know, on no food and adrenaline and cortisol. Hmm. Right. Maybe tomorrow. I'm going to try just to be a little gentler on myself. So again, not getting into the blame, shame, should have trap, but instead being really compassionate with yourself, not as an excuse, but as a way to say, ah, that didn't feel good. So tomorrow I shall do more of what does feel Beautiful. Yeah, maybe what people can do is, the things that you've recommended, maybe we can do it one thing at a time till it has fully integrated itself into their daily schedule and then they can take on the next step. I think that that's Absolutely. doable. Baby steps. Well, the way I look at it is to have macro goals and then some doable micro goals. And I think what happens is people get to the new year or at some point you know, in the calendar year and they say, I'm going to lose 50 pounds and right. I will do it by the end of this month. And it's such a huge goal. It is so much bigger than losing weight, yeah. right? There's so much more than, because pounds aren't the problem, right? And yeah. so what you want to do is go, oh, okay. Well, I would like to lose weight, which would be the macro goal. So let's get some steps underneath that. Maybe first I'll start with taking a 15 minute walk every morning and a 15 minute walk every evening 
by the way, something as simple as a 15-minute walk is sufficient to boost mood for three hours. Research shows that. So, okay, that will be maybe month one. It's just doing a walk. Because really, it's not about weight loss when we look at it. It's about feeling healthier, being healthier, feeling good in your skin, right? And then, okay, maybe month two, I'll pay attention to bringing more fruits and vegetables in the home and maybe one less package of cookies, you know? And then having that with some concrete goals, but approaching it as lifestyle shifts, healthy shifts so that you can get in tune with your body, your mind, and your spirit again, because really that's what we want. We want to feel fit. We want to feel good in our skin and, and being really gentle with yourself about making small goals when possible, having people to support you in that process, linking arms with other women or friends or men who are on the same journey so that you can check in with each other, hold each other accountable, never ever shame each other or blame each other, but really be part of a group that supports wellness, which is what it's about. It's about wellness. Beautifully put again. <laughs> this is why I love your work so much because you are always so on point with what works for people, what doesn't work for people. You get it, and your advice is always so actionable. It's so doable. Again, thank you so much for that. <laughs> now I have a, a more difficult question. Like uh, at the beginning, you said some of us, we self awareness is so important because a lot of the times we don't know what is driving our behavior. Some of us come from dysfunctional homes and that impacts how we treat life, how we treat ourselves and other people as well. So self-awareness, as we go through all of the things that you have advised, we do that. We try to build more awareness around our own motivations. But what about the subconscious forces that drive our behavior? Now, a lot of people are not aware of you know, the concept of our subconscious having an influence or having anything to do with our daily behavior or our choices. So maybe we can talk about that and, and also how we can explore that. Because if you are having a hard time exploring the conscious motivations that are perhaps right there and could be noticed with more mindfulness, when you start talking about subconscious, it's like going to a whole other level then. It's such a good question. And, and remember, I, so I want listeners to really take this in. Okay. Self-awareness is a life journey. The more right. work I do on myself, the more I realize how deep I am as a human being and how much there is that I do not know. And I'm not unique that way. I am, I am like everyone else, that we are so multi-layered. And just the minute we think we're on top of it, life throws us a curveball that says, ah, so you really thought you knew this, but you don't. <laughs> and so that's part of the, I've learned to find it rather fun. But the minute that I think, oh yeah, I got this, I'm in the groove, then life throws me something that says, okay, well, you did get that, but now how about this? We're all and, with you. <laughs> Yes, yes. And so to laugh at that, to laugh and say, oh, so you are throwing this at me because you realize I'm stronger. You're throwing this at me because you realize I'm ready for yet another lesson. I'd like a rest, but I guess you must think I'm ready for it. So thank you very much for the compliment, right? And then laughing. Let's go back to the beginning of your question, which is when you look at my work, Right. I'm, I have my ma- I have my teaching credential. I have my master's in counseling. I have my doctorate in clinical psychology. The reason I'm saying that in those various legs of my life, I have been I've had psychotherapy because I've wanted to. But also as part of those programs and the master's and the doctorate, you're required to have psychotherapy, okay. individual and then group. So you're talking to someone who's admitting that it's a life's work, who has also been forced to have, and forced in a good way. I think it's a very important part of the program I was in. So I have worked a lot with self-awareness, right? So I am saying to listeners, be gentle with yourselves. If somebody like me who has had 
probably thousands of hours of psychotherapy and I'm still on my journey. Be gentle with yourself. It doesn't happen overnight. So now if you want to start from a basic level and we're looking at the conscious mind, which is the mind that is present in the here and now and watching and observing what's happening. Then we have the unconscious mind. And that mind is going on behind the scenes. It is collecting information. It is collecting emotional experiences. It is the collector. It is just running around. That unconscious mind sometimes comes to us and talks to us in our dreams. So that's one way you can get to know your unconscious is by writing down your dreams when and if you remember them. One tip for that is dreams tend to run away by large muscle movements or when a light's on. So you may want to have a dream journal by your bed just to make little scribble notes in. They even make dream pens that have little flashlights. For me, I've gotten so good at it that I can maybe make one line in my notebook and then my mind will be triggered to remember the rest of it. So again, a dream journal is one way to start developing a relationship with the unconscious. Another way to do it is to set aside a time, whether it's daily, twice a week, three times a week, every day, where you journal. This is an important type of journaling. I'm not talking about gratitude journaling or journaling with a purpose to set out the course of your day, right? I am talking about association journaling. You have a journal that is your safe space where no one else can get into it. I happen to like journals where I use a pen. Some people like computer journals. But to be able to go into this space with no judgment, no critical mind, and just unload in the journal. Don't pay attention to typographical errors, grammar, nothing like that. This is all about letting your unconscious mind have space. Now, I also recommend to people, particularly if you're working through anger, um, really tough, tough issues. I've had clients call these their vomit journals, vomit as in, you know, regurgitating, that don't go back and read it. Maybe Uh, if you want to save the journal, you can save it, but don't keep the journal by your bed. Do journaling well before bedtime so that your psyche has time to process it. So, you know, maybe at the latest five or six o'clock or in the morning and then leave it be. Don't go back and reread it because then you'll criticize yourself or say, oh my goodness, I forgot to dot that I or I used the wrong verb here, this or that. It's not about that. It is about just giving your inner voice a safe place to be, much like you would if you had a trusted therapist where you could just go and unload. Then you tie up the journal, especially if it's an actual physical book, you tie it up, you put it away, never near your bed because our beds are our sacred space. We don't want negative energy around them. And then put it away. And so that's a really practical way to get to know the unconscious, and then you don't have to evaluate it. Trust your psyche. Your psyche is okay. brilliant. Once you okay. offload some of this, whether it's an hour later, a week later, a month later, you'll go, oh, and you'll learn something. You will have all of these little epiphanies because your psyche is on a journey to help you get out of the way of the negative mind. It only wants what's good for you. So that's another way to get in touch with your unconscious and then for people who have moving to a different realm for people who want to do some work with their emotions one of the ways and i do this a lot not just with myself but with clients when something comes up for you many of us especially if we've ever dealt with trauma we want to react we something makes us sad and we want to cry and that's not a bad thing, by the way. Or we get angry and want to hit, or we get scared and we want to run. If you are not in danger, then what you want to do is just be able to feel that emotion that came in, whether it's sadness, anger, whatever it is, and go, ah, oh, sadness is here. What does it want to tell me? 
just breathe in and breathe out. See if there are any messages you want to cry. Cry again. You have to be in a safe space with safe people around you, not an unsafe space. And that is when our unconscious mind comes in and says, oh, well, you were crying because you saw that puppy getting hit by somebody. That also reminds you of when your dad hit you or your dad hit your mom and how helpless right. and alone you felt. And so in doing that work and not judging it, not having to fix it, because sometimes there is no fix except being present for the current self and then that self that was hurt as a child. And the more that you do that, the more you don't run from your emotions, don't judge them, but honor them. I really see our emotions as messengers. The more you simply honor them as messengers for something important, then the more they're willing to move aside. Because all of our emotions, we need to learn to let them move through us, even right. happiness, right? Even the happy moments, we don't own any of it. We are not any of it. We just experience them and then let them flow through us as messengers. But it must take a lot of work to get to that, that level, that stage. It takes a lot of work. And I can tell you, I'll give you a really common example that I see with both men and women. People will tell me, I want to run a women's support group. This is a pretty funny story. And okay. when we could meet in person, I would pass around a bowl of candy right. at the beginning of the group. And then particularly if it was women I didn't know, because it is a women's support group. So um, I would say, okay, give me your candy back. Give me your candy back to all of the women. And I would go, and they would give me their candy. <laughs> say why do you want it back okay. they just give it to me and so what I was teaching them was boundaries right? right right and many of the women and if they didn't get it, I'd say well hand me your purse women would hand me their purses right okay. and what I was teaching them is that I even had one woman and I said okay well now give me your wallet she gave me her wallet the okay. idea is in, as we learn our strength, and honestly, I could see myself in that situation. If somebody who I believed had more power than I did came and said, give me your purse, I'd be, oh, okay, here, have my purse. Well, whatever you say, right? Now, about the right. only person who could get away with that would be a security guard, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, is it's about learning your strength yeah. and learning over time. So what I would teach the women using that candy example was wait if somebody asks you for something you are it is your right to say why in a very respectful way well dr carly you just gave me that candy why are you asking me to return it could you explain to me why so what we find is that many people have a fear of what we call a fear of confrontation right. which is really a fear of standing up for themselves yeah a fear of knowing their truth and standing in their truth. And so for me, it's about, so for many people, if they're about to talk to somebody, a father, a partner, a boss, and they feel anxious, they immediately say, I'm conflict avoidant, I'm not going to talk about it, and they put it under the rug. Okay. It makes sense, but you won't grow that. Right. The way to grow and is to not react to situations but to slow down and respond to them so okay as an example let's say i'm getting ready to talk to somebody about a very important issue and i'm feeling anxious oh that's okay i'm feeling anxious now there might have been a time i let the anxiety rule me but now i would say oh i'm feeling anxious that's okay. It's just an emotion. Do a deep breath in, deep breath out. Slow your heartbeat. Bring your parasympathetic nervous system on board, right? Okay, now what do I want to say to that person? What's my agenda? What's my goal? Okay, so now I can do this. I might still feel anxious, right. but now I'm not letting the anxiety run me. I'm letting my prefrontal cortex be more in control right. while also being mindful that my anxiety is a messenger, that it's an uncomfortable situation. 
And right. we tend right. to think that uncomfortable is bad. Sometimes it is. Sometimes uncomfortable is just new and different. Same thing often sure. happens with anger. When we stand up for ourselves, we think, oh, well, I don't want to be angry or mean. Well, we can be angry. I can be angry in a very soft and gentle way. It doesn't mean we have to throw sure. things and call people names. Sure. It means simply that I can say, wait a minute, you crossed my boundaries. I feel very angry that you, you know, right now, you disrespected me by doing X, Y, and Z. And I need that to not happen again. So right. I can be angry. You can be angry. Listeners can be angry. You can be in, in, in a state, but use the emotion as a messenger and then take charge of the emotion, channel the emotion, which may sometimes mean that you take your anger. If I, I don't get angry very often, but if I do, I will often take my anger for a walk. And I will take my anger and we will go for a walk yeah. and we will sort it out together so that by the time I'm ready to talk to the person, I'm in a better frame of mind. Does that make sense? Yes, that did make sense. And I have to tell you, this is a concept that I've been uh, learning about that when you take in an external, um, like your visual Cortex is just the first thing that steps in as and when something happens, you take it in and your limbic system gets that information before your prefrontal cortex does. So your emotional brain gets the information before your logical brain gets it. And that is what trips you up. If you don't pause for a second, you will react in an emotional way, which may not always be the wisest course of action. That's how crimes of passion and all that happens. So what you suggested right now, I think that could save people from a lot of self-destructive, self-sabotaging behavior. And that could really save a lot of relationships, a lot of careers, I think. Absolutely. Because when you think about it, what you're talking about with the visual cortex to the limbic system to the prefrontal cortex, what you, we want to remember is that that is why our species has survived for as long as it has. Yes, yes. In the environment for danger, then we respond very quickly, and yeah. only later do we think about it, right? Exactly, yeah. Right? So what we want to do is to slow that system down, slow it down so that we, unless you're in physical danger, because this doesn't apply of if course. somebody is chasing you in a dark alley, right? right. In, in that right. situation, Absolutely. it is fight, flight, free of these, you know, whatever's happening, you've got to tend to it. Just slow it down. And right. we slow down before we send a tweet, before we say something unkind to somebody, before we beep at somebody in traffic yeah. and call them names. We want to slow it down. Yeah, absolutely. You have just explained the whole thing in a very, very simple way. I really hope people take it in. Now, if people are able to do all of these things, that would be amazing, of course, and they'll build more emotional awareness and they'll have a better idea of what's going on in their life, what's tripping them up, what's getting in the way. But even if you do pause and even if you do allow your emotions to have a say, how can people correctly identify their emotions? How can they, uh, you know, they, they label it correctly and then come up with the reaction that matches the situation in the best possible way and will have the best possible result? So, we do have our five basic emotions. I'll rattle them off again. They are, I work from the five emotion paradigm, which is anger, sadness, joy, fear, disgust. And the reason they're all there is on a primitive level, each one of these emotions served us in some way. And that's all gut-based. Those emotions are very primitive gut-based, right? From those emotions, we go to thousands of feelings. So the emotions travel through the brain and our experiences say, oh, right? That's, oh, lemon. So a lemon, if we take something as simple as a lemon, I might smile with joy at the thought of a lemon and feel joyful. Somebody right. else may feel disgust because their father threw lemons at them, right? So right. that's where the feelings come from. Well, if you're trying to figure out your emotions, what you want to do Let's actually go to your body first. Okay, right now I'm feeling something. I don't know what it is. My heart's pounding in my chest. Okay. 
All right, my belly feels queasy. Okay, what is that about? Okay, likely right now I'm feeling pretty anxious. Okay, I'm feeling anxious, so you're feeling it. Or you might say, I feel really hot and tingly, and my breath is short, and I feel like I want to hit something. Oh, that's anger. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling yeah. angry. Okay, well, what degree of anger I'm feeling? Now let's go to numbers. I love doing right. scales. <laughs> On a scale of zero to 10, where am I with this anger? Right now, I'm a five, but I can feel it getting up to a seven or an eight. Maybe it's turning into rage right now. So treating it as though it's a creature, another person, a being, an entity of its own. And that way you get a little more space from the emotion if you want that space. And you can realize that it's not you. It's an experience, right? right. And so that is a way of working with your emotions and being patient with yourself as you get to know them. But they really start in the body. That's where we start feeling them. And that's why I use the example of feeling anxious, right? When you're about to have a big conversation with someone. Yes. And emotions can also be layered. We can feel, I work with clients all the time who are feeling angry, sad, and disgusted all at once, yes. yeah. right? Yeah. And that's okay. So it's simply about slowing it down slowing it down and you said something very important before we started talking about this that I made a note on and you said if people are getting tripped up by something if you are getting tripped up by something start taking notes don't be judgmental yeah. just have a notebook you might call it your tripped up notebook, <laughs> yeah. and notice what it is you'll find themes you'll find patterns you might find okay. that you are highly critical. That might be a thing, a highly critical right. of yourself. You might find that you're very sensitive to feedback from other people. You might find that somebody in your life is constantly pelting you with sarcastic comments. Right? You might find that you're especially anxious around certain situations. Track it not to judge yourself but to have a greater awareness of what it is that trips you up. Right. Just like if we're driving a car and we keep getting a flat tire, we want to find out what the heck is causing It's one thing to, to pay the money to have the flat tire fixed, but another to figure out why we're getting yeah. a flat tire. Yeah. Right? And right. so that's what I really urge people to do is be a researcher of your own life when possible. It's often hard to do in the middle of something, which is why a therapist right. or a friend can be helpful. Pay attention to the patterns and not just the negative ones. Pay attention to the patterns that feel good to you. Like, oh, right. I really love it when I get a hug, right? That feels right. really good. I love spending time with my dog or cat. That feels really good. So pay attention to the patterns, and as you start being a researcher of your own life, you will realize that you actually have more control than you think you do. That if there's someone in your life who feels toxic, and every time you come away from them, you feel worse about yourself, well, you have some power there. You actually have a right. lot more power than you realize. So yes. things like that. Chips. And I want to end this, if you don't mind, with my favorite, one of my favorite quotes. I have so many, but I think this is just so beautiful. For one human being to love another, that is perhaps the most difficult of all of our tasks, the ultimate, the last test and proof, the work for which all other work is but preparation. Only in this mm -hmm. sense, as the task of working at themselves to hearken and to hammer day and night, might young people use the love that is given. Oh, Miss. Maria Rilke, 1904. <laughs> That's an excerpt from one of his letters, and that second piece is often left out. And when I discovered it, you know, that part of that, that hearken and to hammer day and night, to listen and to work at it day and night. We have less to have the mental capacity to be able to do that. Um, right. I wanted to ask you if there are any resources you want to recommend to people, including your own book, 
uh, so that they can explore the topics that we've discussed on their own as well? You know, um, of course, my book, Joy From Fear, is just such a passion of mine. So I think that is a really great resource. Also, on my Dr. Carla Manley Facebook page, right. absolutely free of charge, of course, are almost 40 videos that cover so many topics that each one is basically like getting a therapy session on a different topic. So okay. those are there. I think they're tremendous resources. And um, I think that that is a, a very good start. Um, and for people who have particular questions about, about an issue, they can email me and I do try to get back to um, emails as quickly as possible. And uh, my final question is, if you could just give one advice to the people listening to the show uh, so that they can enhance the quality of their life, what would that one advice be? Be kind to yourself. Lovely. That is because when we are kind and gentle on the self, everything we do, everything we think, be it kind or not so kind, takes root in us and then thus in the world. So if we can simply remember to be kind to ourselves, meaning compassionate, respectful, um, aware, then we create that same relationship with others. So if there's one thing I would say, be kind to yourself. So that was Dr. Carla Marie Manley, and I'm so glad to have had her on the show. If you want the list of resources mentioned in this episode, you can get it on my website, redefinednarrative.com. Search for the podcast episode, and there should be a list of resources and links for you to explore. And if you want to get in touch with our guest, the page will have all their relevant information. Now, if you found today's episode useful, please rate and review the show on iTunes or share it on Instagram. It will help others find the information should they need it. Remember to tag me at mehra underscore krapi so that I can thank you for your time. And if there is any particular issue or concern you would like for me to cover on the show, reach out to me on Instagram or use the contact page on my website. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back next week. Till then, please do take care of yourself.